Hello, this is Wesley Fryer, and this is a recording of my keynote presentation, Leading Schools with Digital Vision in a Bubble Sheet World, shared for the Mississippi Educational Technology Association's annual conference in Jackson on February the 8th, 2011. I actually was able to turn on my recorder thanks to the generous assistance of Carl Owens, who had uh, picked it up when I had left it in a previous session room. And so the initial slides for this presentation, I, I don't have the audio for. It actually picks up at slide six. So I will just narrate after the fact uh, these initial slides and then insert the recorded audio as we pick up with slide six. All of technology is magic at some level, and I think it was Arthur C. Clarke that talked about that. And we are probably in this room for this conference, all in different places as far as our vocabulary and our knowledge of technology and the degree to which it seems magical. But it really is amazing to be able to do things um, as we were uh, this evening trying to make a – and it wasn't actually – completely successful, but trying to make a Skype video call from an iPhone in the car. I mean, we wouldn't have even dreamed of doing that kind of thing. And so our ability to access information, access people, uh, publish content, all of this definitely seems quite magical. This is a photograph of my three children on a Saturday morning. And instead of Saturday cartoons, you can see the choice that that they have made since laptops and high-speed internet connectivity are available in our house. This is a Funny photo because my niece, who is in a pre-service teaching program in the Dallas area, was actually watching a PowerPoint presentation one of her professors was giving, and this picture showed up because it's shared on the website Flickr under a Creative Commons license, and she said, hey, I know those kids. Those are my cousins. But it is an amazing thing to think about this world that we're we're growing up in and, and living in today, and the things that especially young children, are taking for granted that we never would have dreamed were even possible even a few years ago. At Thanksgiving uh, in 2008, I took this photograph, and my wife is actually seated in, in the chair on the left side there in the foreground, emailing my father, who is, you can barely see his knee and his laptop on the right side of the screen. My mom is, I think, using her iPhone to do something there on the couch. And you can't see my middle daughter, but she's learning something from her cousin on his cell phone. And the the one who is not engaged with the screen is my my youngest, who's there in the middle of the room dancing. We've got a a, um, a football game that we're ostensibly watching. Um, The question that I asked our audience today for this slide was, how many different devices do you have in your home that connect to the Internet today? We actually had somebody who was over 20. I think we had somebody who said they had 23. We had a remarkable number of people that were over 15. But with DVD players that now connect to the Internet so that they can stream Netflix and Hulu uh, with our cell phones connecting to the, to the Internet, laptop computers, play, you know, um, game systems, all kinds of things. It really is a pretty staggering question of how many screens we have. Well, this past Thanksgiving, when we gathered together as a family, after we took our regular photo, I asked all the members of our family gathered to hold their devices, to hold their screens. And, of course, what we notice about these devices is they're getting smaller and smaller, and they're becoming more and more powerful. Um, this was a photograph taken at Christmas time. We had a chance to spend some time in a timeshare in Colorado with my in-laws, and um, the internet was not super fast, but you know it was it, it was an element to the vacation. And 
Uh, I think vacations for us now, especially in the summertime, are defined by a separation from technology rather than a connection to it. But uh, the impact of the screen and the prevalence of the screen is definitely some something that's basically impossible to miss today, uh, both within our families uh, and, and as we look out at, at, at society more generally. So the messages I have for you today are threefold. First off, it's not a surprise that the world is going digital and we see those signs all around us and we need to move in a digital direction at school. But the next two messages are not ones that you're necessarily going to be surrounded with. And they are encouragements to share and encouragements to get creative. Because I believe all of us need to not just use the tools around for the old stuff that we used to do, but we need to use them in transformative ways, to learn in ways that we couldn't before and to share in ways that we couldn't. So by a show of hands, how many of you wear glasses or contacts? How many of you would have difficulty right now if I took those away from you? Okay. (laughs) Vision is critical, and the lenses that we use to look through the world are very important, too. And so I'm going to offer a couple different lenses and some suggestions, not just my own ideas, but ideas of other educators in different parts of the country and different parts of the world about what it means to leave schools with digital vision. Have you heard this before? What context have you heard that quotation or that statement before? What, like, historical politics? What else? Any historians of World War II? Wasn't that something of Germany we think about? Hitler and the Nazis, and you tell the lie long enough? We live in a very challenging day, a day full of opportunity, but also full of challenge. And unfortunately, one of the lies which has been told over and over again so many times, and people have started to believe it today, is that everything that matters can be shown on a bubble sheet. I just heard a story yesterday from one of the Mississippi teachers, uh, principal actually, who was telling the story about after, after tests, one of the kids asked his, asked his parent, why am I going to school? You know, the tests are over. We are not just here in school to pass tests. As a child, you are not of value only as a test statistic. We really need to change um, the words that we say about education because the words we say make a difference. And some of the words I want to encourage us with today are reminders about what matters. So who's seen this movie? This movie didn't even come to Oklahoma. That's where I live now. In fact, there was a special, I should step back, there was a special screening in Oklahoma City Public Schools that a few folks got invited to, and it was at the $2 movie briefly, but it's gone. It went quick. Um, We are waiting for Superman. Well, are we? I found him. Do you know where he lives? He's in Howe, Oklahoma, and his name is Lance Ford. If you'd like his phone number, up. Actually, Lance does professional development for teachers in his school in a Superman suit from time to time. Are any of you the super friend who folks in your home, in your school, in your organization look to as the one who can bail them out, who can save them? Well, the truth is the heroes in education are sitting right beside you. This is a photograph of my son when he was in third grade, the year we moved to Oklahoma in 2006. And although we're going to talk about leadership today, how many administrators do we have? By show of hands. Come on, raise your hands and be proud. Very good. Even if you are not the official positional leader within your school building, and we're very hierarchical in schools, 
All of us are leaders. All of us have the potential to influence folks that are around us. And that's not just the kids, that's the students also. So when I talk about leadership, I'm not letting anybody in here off the hook because we all have that potential to be leaders. How many of you are on Twitter? This is is something that I totally did not get for a long time because when somebody told me about Twitter, I said, that sounds so stupid. Why would I want to know what somebody had, um, you know, for lunch? I don't want to know what kind of sandwich you had. However, Twitter as a tool, and this is a a tool called Twitter Ball, will let us see the tweets that people at the conference are, are sharing right now, has become a way with 140 characters to share not just little facts about what I'm doing, but also links and also replies, retweets. It's a way to connect with others. And so there are folks here at this conference (laughs) that are using Twitter as a back channel to talk about things that they are learning. And since it's on the screen now, they may be disrupting it's a little bit scary, isn't it, to have a live stream up right behind us. I mention that because the most important thing you could do from a technology standpoint, I believe, is to connect with smart people. And there are lots and lots of smart people in the world and in the room. In fact, I have to do a shout-out to some of my Yodas. Marco Torres is a California educator, and that's what he calls the influencers, right? So how many of you know Carl Owens from Tennessee Tech right here on the front row? Anybody see his, his magic uh, tools presentation? Um, I am, am will, will someday hopefully be just a, a bit of the photographer and media guru that, that he is. Uh, is Larry Anderson here? Did, did Larry... Larry, if you don't know Larry from the National Center for Technology Planning up in Tupelo, he's another one of my crew. And how about Cliff Mims? Cliff, did you make it from the Martin Institute? There he is. How do your kids get influenced to change their behavior and change their ideas? Is it just a lecture? How do they get influenced? It's the company we keep. It's the people we hang out with. When you get to hang out with folks for an extended period of time, you can't help but be influenced by their ideas. Have you heard of the book, um, and I didn't put this in my slideshow, um, the book of teaching and, what is it called, learning and forgetting? Anybody have a tool to help us out with this? I went to school before Google, didn't you? It can be a disruptive thing. to have access to Google, but it can also be a wonderful thing as far as being able to bring in expertise and find things and look up things that we didn't have access to previously. Um, The reason I mention that, and I'm going to have to do an alternate uh, internet access option. Um, One of the things that the author of that book says is that parents never really say when their kids are hanging out with maybe a group um, that may be into drinking, they may be into drugs, they may be into doing other kinds of destructive or self-destructive behaviors. I'm not real worried about my child because they're a little slow. They're not not, going to be influenced by that, you know. Every person knows if you hang out with folks, you get influenced by them. The peer group is pivotal. So this is the way I explain Twitter. It's a way to hang out with other people's brains. 
Okay, because different people are sharing things, and the opportunity to do that can be real powerful. Um, let's do a little survey, and I'm going to have to change my internet connection um, to be able to do this. But I'm going to ask you to get out your phone if uh, you've got a phone that can text message. And I'm going to see if I can do my connection here to my personal hotspot, since I'm having a little difficulty with the other internet connection. And what I'm going to ask you is... How many of you have used this program by a show of hands? Okay, look around the room. How much does this program cost? It's free. Okay. Now, the question that I'm going to ask you to answer is, to what countries have you Skyped? And let's first test our connection. What website do you always go to? I go to CNN all the time. Ta-da, is my internet connection live? I think it is. What I have pulled up here is maybe, and we may change that plan. Has anybody else ever had to change their plan because of bandwidth? We may come back to this. Yeah, try Fox, that's right. Let's just go to Google. All right, my internet seems to be, there we go. Yay, let's hear it for the internet. How many of you have heard of the, of the free uh, service Poll Everywhere? Anybody heard of that before? All right, so you get to use your cell phone right now. You don't have to be on the Internet. Here's how this works. If you have Skyped, and if, you've just, if it's the United States, that's fine too. Say United States. Open up a new text message. And what I want you to do is I want you to send this message to 37607. Normally when you send a text message, you put in what? Somebody's phone number, right? You're going to send it to their phone number. But in this case, you're sending your text to 37607. Then in the message body, you're going to first put 90731 and then the place where you have Skype to. I am going to put the word China, even though it's kind of in reverse. I was in China and I was Skyping back to my family. Being able to do this <laughs> is a big deal. <laughs> That's right. And if I told you I had your phone number and could call you right now, <laughs> I'm taking a bit of a risk here, aren't I, by having an open text poll? Sure I am. And it's possible for us to do this kind of a survey as a multiple choice, so the stakes are less as far as it being a live survey. But having asked this question in different venues in the last year, I am just blown away by how many of us are making international connections. <laughs> and there's a shout out to Carrie. We need to be making international connections not only in our homes, but in our schools as well. This is a video snapshot, a screenshot of my children in Edmond, Oklahoma, last September when I was in Shanghai for the Learning 2010 conference. 
And you, you tell your kids about time zones and about the world having different um, different times and days, but nothing says it quite like, you know, my, at the time, six-year-old saying, Dad, it's light outside, as I turn the laptop. That's right, it's tomorrow. I'm in the future. <laughs> Do you remember the Jetsons? you remember how George Jetson used to always get Mr. Spacely to buzz in, and we thought, oh, how would that... It's not quite that way, but how many of you have made a FaceTime call on an iPhone at this point? How many of you have used Skype to make a call? Because now you can do video calls with Skype um, on this phone. I really was amazed by this at Thanksgiving. Why? Because my sister had had a new baby. My mom had an iPhone, and she called her brother in Wichita, Kansas, who was just on his computer. He wasn't on an iPhone. But the ease with which we could introduce them to everybody in the family and see Cole and three sitting down there, that was unbelievable. We have a, a, a superintendent in Oklahoma, Yukon Public Schools, who just visited virtually his camp, one of his campuses a couple weeks ago because an assistant superintendent took an iPhone 4 on campus. They had Wi-Fi because you have to have Wi-Fi connected. And the superintendent visited with different students and got them to talk about some of the things they were learning in class. The superintendent was virtually in the classroom. That made an impact. What can your students do with the screen? Well, we need to invite them to show us. The video I'm about to show you was created by a high school student in California. And it was created for a summer camp that was put on by a group called Fresh, the Fresh Brains. It was a summer camp. And the kids were asked to create a video about an activity or something that they were interested in. And this is the video that the high school student created at summer camp. I don't know about you, but that's the best marketing video I've ever seen for Boy Scouts. That's like Lord of the Rings stuff, right? I'm ready to go climb some mountains and rappel off some walls and go sell some popcorn, you know? Rushton Hurley is the executive director of Next Vista for Learning, and his nonprofit is focused on digital storytelling and the sharing of powerful videos like that. And he showed that in October of last year in Holland, Michigan, at a conference I was attending and, and where I was presenting. And I love how Rushton describes Next Vista. He says it's his Save the World nonprofit. Well, here's mine. It's called Story Chasers. And you probably think of chasing storms in Oklahoma. Well, we can do that as we chase stories, but we need to chase the stories in our communities. How many of you have a need to help constituents in your community understand the positive impact of education? Anybody have a bond election coming up? Anybody have a vote coming up? We had one in Midwest City, which is a suburb just east of Oklahoma City, and it failed. I should have the exact statistic, but it's like less than 100 folks. Less than 100, and, and that bond initiative failed. I'm not guaranteeing you're going to you know, succeed in all your bond initiatives if you have an, a project like this. But some of the most important work I believe I have an opportunity to do today focuses on oral history and digital storytelling. How many of you recorded your grandparent telling stories about their life? Does anybody have a cassette or any kind of recorded? How, how valuable would you say that is? Can I put a price on that? How much, how much would you sell that for me to? Okay. There's no amount of money. Okay. It's in their voice. Even if you have things they wrote down, it's not the same as hearing it in their voice. 
So we have over 840 videos now that have been created by Oklahoma students and Oklahoma teachers, mostly by teachers, in a two-and-a-half-day workshop that we do where teachers learn to put still images together with audio, maybe with some music, and create a three- to five-minute video. Now, is every one of those an incredible, powerful tearjerker? No. You don't make Steven Spielberg classics the first time out of the gate. You think that high school student in California was doing his video the first, for the first time? No. He'd done that a lot. Okay? But how do we get better? Through practice. Whatever it is we want to get better at, we're going to need to practice. So I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I was in Pearl Harbor in December of 2007 for the dedication of the USS Oklahoma Memorial, and I heard survivors tell their stories, and we video conferenced it back to Oklahoma. And this idea of being a digital witness was something that kind of struck me, right? Because I can be here and witness this presentation. I can be here and listen to you tell stories about your childhood or what it was like when you were in school. But I also can now record it. For how much? $35? The world has gone digital, and we need to move in that direction at school. What are the keys that you can give students that might open up doors that you didn't have a chance to open as a young person or as an older person? There are all kinds of doors out there that involve utilizing technology, but not just technology, communicating and collaborating, networking, sharing, all of these things are important. How many of you have seen this video? It's a year old. Did you know 4.0? I'm not going to show it, actually. Here's your homework. For professional development, this is a free video. It started off as a PowerPoint slide that a Colorado teacher did for his faculty, Carl Fish. And it's now gone through several iterations. This is the fourth version. This particular video is a really great overview of so many changes that are happening in society today. And that's a great thing to watch and talk about with changes. The number one takeaway I have from that is how important mobile devices are. By 2020, the mobile device will be the most important way of accessing the Internet worldwide. More people will access the Internet via a mobile device than any other tool. Raise up your hand if you have a mobile device right now on you that can access the Internet. Okay, look around the room. That is stunning. The smartphone in my pocket today is going to be the everybody's phone in five years. Who's watched television on their uh, phone? Have you done that before? I, I watched a bowl game. Unfortunately, our uh, older golden retriever... Um, was failing in health and we had to put her to sleep on New Year's Day, which wasn't a great New Year's thing to do. Um, and we were running around and having to wait in, in the vet's office. And doggone it, you know that K-State's playing its bowl game, you know, on one, one of those days. It might not have been New Year's Eve. It was a, a day or two before we, we put her down. Anyway, 12 bucks, I had an app called Mobile TV and I was able to watch the bowl game. Do you know that we've got a bias against small screens as adults? Have you noticed this? Oh, that's too small. Oh, you know, we're not going to be able to deal with that. Having this in your pocket can change everything. The most valuable camera you can have is what? The one you have with you. Okay? Because, and, and I, you know, Carl is one with his cameras that are demonstrating. You can take some incredible pictures with those big cameras. But in order to capture stuff, you've got to have it with you. So I really think this is a big deal. Can you imagine that the phone in, that's in the cheapest 
plan. In fact, even the, the track phones that don't require a plan, the processor in those phones is more powerful not only than the computers we had in 69 uh, in, when we landed on the moon, but also on the first shuttle compu- uh, computers that we had. Incredible. We don't, I mean, do you call this a phone still? This is a computer. And sometimes I make phone calls. But we're not going to watch the Did You Know video because I got something better. The Super Bowl. Advertisements. <laughs> How many of you watched the Super Bowl? How many of you were compelled by a spouse to watch the Super Bowl? <laughs> How many of you enjoy the ads mostly when you watch the Super Bowl? Okay. Uh, depends who's playing, right? We're not going to talk a lot about Wikipedia, but Wikipedia is something else we tend to have a lot of strong bias against. Have you ever told students, go to one source and believe it? Ever told them that? No. You always say, I want multiple sources. I want you to check the facts. Okay? The same thing applies to Wikipedia. Wikipedia has a really nice article for uh, the Super Bowl this year, if you want to read it. And according to that article... In, by September, they had sold um, almost all the spots, 90%, and the price today was $3 million. And I'm guessing that's for the 30-second spot. I'm not going to show you the, uh, was it the Chrysler ad? Who did, who did the one about Detroit? Did anybody see that one? It was powerful. That's a two-minute ad. And that was not just about selling a car. That was about having pride in where we live. And did you catch imported from Detroit? So catch that one if you didn't see it. Who saw the ad, Reply All? I would like you to turn to your neighbor and take 30 seconds and tell your neighbor a story about when you or someone you know made a grave error with the Reply All button. You have 30 seconds. Go. All right, I don't want you to name names. I do not want you to embarrass somebody just who's right here or even somebody who's back home. But Kurt has the mic. Let's see if we can get a couple people to just briefly share in a sentence or two. What was your story, your reply-all story? What happened? And if you wouldn't mind, just say who you are and where you're from. Not sure of the recipients and uh, things that we wouldn't have told that person face to face. Somebody else share a reply all story. We got one in the back over there. We got one over here. This is Kurt's exercise plan. Well, we'll bring you the mic anyway. been threatening to unfriend me now for a couple months, but that's just because I share cryptic things that she's not exactly sure of. Just a small anecdote, I had with myself, uh, I taking an online class, uh, my professor uh, emailed me and all the other students about the test, including the student worker. The student worker accidentally gave a fly all to solve the key to the test. There you go. Hey, open collaboration on this one, baby. But you did have, we had one more, I think, over there in that section. Yeah. Uh, I worked for an advertising company. 
said something back to me, and I didn't like what she said, and I explained it in the file. She's trying to reply to my co-worker, and said some not nice things about what the boss had to say, and it was false. All right. So even if you saw the Super Bowl 32nd version, you didn't probably see this because on YouTube, on the Bridgestone website, they have this video, which is the extended version, which is actually just 60 seconds. But let's take a look. Time limit, unless you're a nonprofit or have some special status. How long can your videos be? 15 minutes, right? They increase from 10 minutes to 15. How long are most people going to watch? A few, <laughs> less than that, right? Okay. So here's, I think, a three-minute behind the scenes to the Reply All Super Bowl ad. Oh yeah, sorry. This is my behind the scenes picture. <laughs> By the way, how fast does the human brain process an image relative to text? Is there a difference? There's a huge difference. Bernie Dodge actually replied to me on Twitter and said, "Wait, well, don't repeat this. It's 4,000 times faster." Can't say that. Here's what we can say: There's three or four thousand neurons that connect the ear to the brain. There's about 30 or 40 thousand that connect the eyeball to the brain. No one tells your eyeball where to start looking at the image. Visual literacy is important. You've been to a restaurant lately? Been to Chili's? Notice how they change their menu all the time. Notice what they have on their menu. It's just all black and white text, isn't it? No, it's full of images and it's full of pictures because marketers understand images influence us to a different level than text does. Okay, so here's behind the scenes. Dressed up like the best of the Tamian Pharaoh with 
Okay, so this is funny, but humor is often a great way to get us to talk about serious things. So you now have 60 seconds to turn to your neighbor. And I keep using this as one of my favorite websites. It's called online-stopwatch. You don't have to have smart board or Promethean board software or anything. It just works. You go to online-stopwatch. You put in the time. You're going to get 60 seconds. Or how about let's just do one minute. And it even works with the bell. I want you to talk with your neighbor. What are the real issues that this video raises that you need to talk with your students about, that you need to talk to your coworkers and your fellow teachers about, and that you need to talk with your children and your grandchildren about? You have 60 seconds. Go. Okay. Kurt, let's just let's do a couple other shares. You don't have to say a, a super long paragraph, but what was one of the things that you or your neighbor said we need to talk about as it relates to this idea of digital footprints and the concepts that are brought up in that video? All right. Well, what's, what's your litmus test for sharing? Are you thinking about grandma? Are you thinking about your mom? You need to be thinking more people than you plan on can see it. I just told them the story that as an administrator, there were at least two people that applied for jobs in my school this year that didn't even get an interview because of what I could find about them. And did you just Google their names and then find stuff? And you probably have heard this, the story, the drunken pirate story of the pre-service teacher a couple years ago, you know, on her Facebook who had a picture posted and she had her teaching certificate taken away and went to court. I mean, we've got to recognize the audience has changed. These aren't one to a limited number conversations. You know, how many friends do your kids have anyway? They have 400 friends. But even that doesn't mean somebody cannot copy it, save it, put it somewhere else. Somebody else? Okay. I really think that conversations about Internet safety and, digital and uh, you know, appropriate use, etiquette online, etiquette need to be couched in terms beyond safety, okay? It's not just about being safe. It's about being smart. It's about realizing the world has changed. And it's not just about email. How many of you have a Facebook account? How many of you have learned something valuable as a result of Facebook you might not have known otherwise or heard about quickly enough, okay? I bet we could swap some interesting stories. Anybody sat down with their own child or grandchild and said, hey, can you show me your Facebook profile? Can we look at your friends? Let's, let's show me, you know. If there's a, well, I don't think so. Hmm, we need to have a conversation there, right? Because the things that you're sharing here are going to be part of your digital footprint, the footprints that you leave out for the world to see and that others at some point may make decisions and judgments about you. How can we manage our digital footprints? See, we shouldn't, I believe, just leave it up to the world to tag us in photos and to post a blog or post a status update that defines us to Google. We need to be proactive. And I believe that a big part of this is in the publishing of content. Pew Internet released a study in May of 2010 that over half of adults now Google themselves. I forgot to put these statistics in this slideshow, but uh, did anybody upload a picture over New Year's? The million, I mean, Facebook is now becoming the best, the, the best, about that, the biggest photo sharing site in the world. 
and I don't know, remember the exact statistic, but millions of images were shared on New Year's Eve this year on Facebook. We have a, an administrator right here in Mississippi who is Googling the candidates that are coming to his school. And we all should be doing that. I was up in the northwestern corner of Oklahoma in September doing an internet safety presentation. I did five different sessions for, for all the kids. And let me tell you, the one for the kindergarten and first grade at the end of the day, that was the, hard, the hardest one. But, you know, do you have kids playing Club Penguin? Do you have kids that are on any kind of website where they're saving a password, taking an AR test? Have you had any issues with passwords? There are issues that we need to talk about. The story, though, that came out of that, that trip that I remember was the counselor who said one of their seniors was applying to Oklahoma State and was rushing for sorority rush. And because of what that committee or that group found on the web, she did not make it into the sorority. And they told her that. There are some of our schools I know in the Dallas metro area that at that beginning professional development for first-year teachers, a big part of that is saying, all right, folks, the spring break pictures come down on your Facebook. You no longer represent just yourself. You represent us. And it's important for you to professionally represent yourself as well as our school and our organization. Now, I also don't have this slide in, but you may have heard of what Virginia is doing. Virginia has proposed a bill, and hopefully saner and more rational voices will, will uh, prevail, to try and make it illegal against the law for any public teacher to use any kind of social media site at all with any student, for, with, it, with anybody. That's going the wrong direction. What does computer literacy mean? Do you, do you remember when it was Microsoft Office? Did anybody here take a class? Have you taken one? Maybe you're going to a session today, and I'm not saying they're bad to go to, but Microsoft Word, Excel, PowerPoint. How about Access? Anybody here love Access? you admit that? Ooh, look at that. Those are the geeks. All right. Write, them, write their names down. Um, at one time, that was it, right? Do you know Office? Can you move into the workforce knowing Office productivity? But it's a lot more than that now. This is a staged photograph from the University of Missouri's College of Journalism a couple years ago. And uh, wasn't Steve Jobs just so smart when he put that lighted apple on the back? No question what they're using here. Will Richardson posted this to his blog and, and had the question, what changes, right? When all the kids are showing up with a device that can access the Internet, but also let them publish and share, what changes? Does anything change? A lot should change. Mobile devices matter. And while it's fairly easy to share statistics and play videos and things that demonstrate how the world has changed, we need to think about what does it mean? How many of you know about Khan Academy? Who works with somebody that takes a math class? Do you know anyone taking a math class at any level? Salman Khan had some nieces living in a different part of the country. He lives in California. And they needed some tutoring in, in, I think, algebra. I think that's where he started. And he realized that instead of just talking it through on the phone, he could record a screencast of him showing how to work the problem. And then he realized YouTube is free. And if he shared those screencasts online... Not only would his nieces be the potential beneficiaries, but anybody on the planet 
could be a beneficiary. So he now has a 501c3, and the Khan Academy has over 1,800 videos available. My son, who is in seventh grade and is taking a Algebra One course, had to do a least common multiple problem earlier this year. Would anybody be able right now to demonstrate the least common multiple? Okay, I took a bit of math, but I didn't remember. And so we went here. All of the 1,800 plus videos have their titles right on the front. This is algebra all the way through calculus. And you know what my son said after we saw the video? Wow, Dad, that's not how my teacher showed me to do it, but I think that's easier. Cool. There's almost always more than one way to solve a problem. And this is Bill Gates' favorite example, one of definitely one of his favorite examples, I'm told, uh, about you know, the impact of technology. But does this mean we don't need any math teachers? No. Does this mean we don't need to go to school anymore? No. Does this mean when I need help on a particular math skill, I've got an incredible tool in my pocket if I have a smartphone that can play YouTube, or on my laptop if I have it, or on my tablet, whatever device I have. What does this mean? Well, I'll tell you, one thing it means is that all of our kids need to have devices that can access the web and allow them to create content and not just consume it. How many of you have read an ebook on a Kindle, a Nook, uh, an iPad, something like that? Everything, this is, this, I gave you the challenge about the video, did you know? All right, that's one of your homework. But this is for everybody. Next year, when whoever is this keynote speaker and whoever introduces them, ask this question, who's read a book on uh, an electronic device? Every single person should read their hand. Folks, we are the experts on education in our communities. If we are not using these tools and becoming conversant with both the pros and the cons, because there are negatives, right? How much does that tablet cost down there at Barnes & Noble? It's not $5. Last time I checked, how much is it? 139 bucks. How much does the iPhone 4 cost without a contract? 500 600 Okay? We're going to talk about price points and, and technology changing. But, folks, we have got to be utilizing these tools because we need to become experts on how they can help us for learning and how they can assist us for learning. When I went to graduate school the first time, we didn't learn about the revision to Bloom's taxonomy because I got my master's degree in 1996, and this was published in 2001. But Anderson and Crofwell and others did a revision to Bloom's where they changed all the words to verbs, and they put creation at the top. Now, what part of this is the easiest to assess? The bottom, the knowledge and comprehension level. What part do you think is the most important? The stuff that comes higher. Can you make a good choice? Can you make a good decision? Can you weigh options and alternatives? Can you get information? Can you discern what is not accurate and true? And apply that which you do believe and regard as trustworthy? I believe one of the things we need to do is talk with media. And I've actually started, I've got a session at our National Computing Conference this uh, summer called 
simple ideas for powerful sharing. In my breakout session this afternoon, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to show you how to use some different free tools to be able to share and publish with media, with text, with audio, and with video. How long do you think it took them to make that sandbox? That sand castle, I should say. A long time. Is there anybody here that likes to play in the sand? Will you admit it? What's great about a sandbox? You get to start over. It's easy to try new things. And we can build some pretty amazing things, especially if we work together, because I bet you money one person can do that. But I bet they work together. How did you learn how to swim? How did you help your kids learn how to swim? Did you do that? Or did you tell them, no, honey, it's too dangerous? Okay? People fall down at the pool when they're running. People drown when they're going off the diving board. Sometimes they hit their head on, on the bottom of the pool. Sometimes they hit the board. It is too dangerous. You are not going in the pool. No, hopefully we're not saying that. If our child is physically able, we're saying, I want you to have this skill. Because this skill can not only maybe open up some doors for you, but it could keep you safe. It could save your life. Because you might be at the lake sometime with your friends on a boat, and guess what? You might get knocked out of the boat. Or you might want to go in the water with your friends. And I want you to have the skills you need to be able to be safe. Just like we help our kids learn how to swim, we need to be in the water with our kids, with social media and with these tools, using these tools and learning together. It's the only way we're going to be able to learn together about these tools. So my question to you is, what is your platform for publishing and sharing? By a show of hands, how many of you have updated some kind of website, not Facebook, but a website that could be a school site, a blog, uh, it could be Twitter, I guess. No, let's not count Twitter. Let's, let's not count that kind of sharing, but a, a website. In the last month, how many of you have updated? Look around the room. That is awesome. Okay? We all need to do this. Why? Because hyperlinks are incredibly powerful. What can you connect others to with a hyperlink? Just about anything, right? Is it dangerous? It can be really dangerous. In 1999, my elementary school in Lubbock, Texas, was the first elementary to have a website in our district. It may have been 97, actually. 97, 98. We had one high school that was on the Internet. The teacher responsible for that high school site let students directly upload pages to the school website. Can you think about where this is going? We still don't know to this day, I don't, what that link was, but there was some link to a personal site that one of those high school kids had that offended someone, and as a result, no teachers in the district, none of the teachers in the district, were allowed to directly upload to the web the remainder of the time I was in the district. Okay? That was a response. We're just going to shut it down. You had, except you had to go through one guy. I, I need to step back. There was one fella. He was the gatekeeper, and we had to send everything to him. But nobody could directly do it. It was just him. The world is a dynamic place, and it's hard to make predictions about what's going to happen for sure tomorrow, but it looks like this interactive web is not going away. In fact, it's just going to become more and more important. So understanding how to avoid the reply-all nightmare is part of the conversation. 
But also understanding how we shape our digital footprint and how we have an online resume, a portfolio of work that others find when they Google for us, relies on this, having a platform for publishing. So I'm going to give you another challenge, but this is a video challenge. Who has with them today, and you may not have it in your pocket, some kind of video camera, a flip camera, a smartphone that can take video, a cell phone camera? Raise your hands high. Okay, look at look around the room. Look how many videographers are there. Are you scared right now? <laughs> is anybody else glad that you grew up in a time when all your friends didn't have a video camera in their pocket? And they didn't have this opportunity at any moment to take it out and not just photograph, but record video? We've entrusted adolescent boys with this tool? When does executive function fully form in the brain of the adolescent male? 65? Well, I think it's mid to late 20s, right? Oh my gosh, is it hard to help them make good decisions and choices? Of course it is. Are we going to give up in that fight? No, we're not. So here's your challenge. I was in Montana two weeks ago. And in January, I posted on my blog a challenge that I called the Digital Vision 2011 Challenge. And it's a simple question. What does it mean to have vision as an educational leader in 2011? 30 seconds. My challenge to you is to find someone this week at this conference who will respond to that question. Then you upload that video with their permission, of course, because this is all part of the conversation, right? I don't just take your video and without your permission and without your knowledge, go share it with a global audience. With their permission, if they'll agree, and you explain, this is a project, it's, it's on YouTube, we're, we're exploring what it means to be visionary leaders in schools. All you do is tag it with Digital Vision 2011. What I'd like to show you is just a four-minute clip, I think. This is uh, six of the different submissions that we had two weeks ago in Montana. Digital leadership is two pieces. Um, it's expectations and it's modeling. I think the digital leaders have to expect that uh, new skills are, are not only taught but practiced in the classroom, and I think it also has to be modeled. Um, I don't think you can have a digital leader that isn't themselves embroiled in the technologies. And um, I, I'm not saying that every uh, tech leader has to be a tech guru or a genius in technology, but they have to have the iPod in their hand, they have to be fearless um, with a laptop, and they have to be able to articulate a vision that says that we can do better with the tools that are available now. Um, well, I, I think that uh, leadership has changed and we're no longer in this top-down view of leadership or we no longer should be, even though we continue to do things in that way uh, oftentimes. And instead, Julie and I have talked a lot about doing this bottom-up, top-down, collaborative kind of leadership where um, we all sit together. It's it's not that we lead students or students lead us or teachers lead us or vice versa, but we're all working together um, to ultimately move forward in the learning process. The hierarchy of leadership is dismantled and rebuilt and based around creativity, communication, collaboration, critical thinking, and curiosity. In the 21st century, I think it's important for schools uh, to create a collaborative community with the teachers, with parents, and with kids. Um, I think it's essential uh, that 
we create a school wherein kids get the skills that they need to be successful. And the skills that kids need to be successful today are different than the skills the kids needed, you know, 50 or 100 years ago. Uh, with technology uh, prevalent, with the information age upon us, uh, students need to be able to learn how to work with each other, how to think outside of the box, how to be creative, um, how to collaborate. Um, in order to do that, then the schools need to structure themselves in a way to have kids develop and learn those skills. So we have to rethink a little bit outside of the box, do things a little bit different, um, set up opportunities for kids to, to practice all of those skills on a regular basis, um, and uh, become proficient at them. So when they leave school, they're ready to find jobs. They should have some iPod touches because you could get to internet and you can all have your own little device so that like if you're trying to teach a lesson and you have it on the iPad or the smart board and you could you could have them go there too and I would like The leadership piece of a 21st century educational environment is one that really looks at empowering everybody in the system. And so the students need to be empowered to express their learning. The teachers need to be empowered to create learning environments that support students in uh, bold and innovative ways that reach out to the community, the parents, the businesses, the, the whole the whole group around the school. It, it needs to be a true community center. Your Helena Public Schools technology vision. Digital learning. Anyone. Anywhere. Anytime. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. I want you to talk to your neighbor about what learning do you think will happen for you if you will take this challenge. If you would record at least one 30-second video asking that question with permission, uploading it to video. What's the learning you think will happen for you? You have 60 seconds. Go. All right. Time's up. What's going to happen? <laughs> A lot of things. How many of you have already uploaded something to YouTube before? Okay, a few of us, but not nearly as many folks that have video. Would it be a valuable thing to understand how YouTube works today? You know, tags make a huge difference. Never, well, I'm not even going to say it. There are some words that you could tag videos. You would just never want to do that. You would never want to search for those videos. There's a lot of junk on YouTube, but there's also a lot of great stuff on YouTube. Okay, it really has become a mirror for our society overall. I think it's significant that the president of our nation utilizes YouTube and social media in such an effective way to communicate because he is not just communicating with us in the United States. He is communicating with a world audience. And whatever your opinion of our current administration, I think you need to pay attention to how they use social media. During the last State of the Union address that just happened, what, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, the back channel that was happening, the discussion, if you went to the website the White House set up, it was pretty incredible how they were engaging people in much more than the little sound bite you got on the 5 o'clock or 5.30 news. Hopefully you're going to learn about digital sharing, and I'm not going to in this session share a piece of it, but in my breakout this afternoon I will. Who knows about the K-12 online conference? 
Who has plenty of money for professional development? Who would like to know about bringing in high-quality, world-class professional development for free to your school? Is that of interest to anyone? The last five years, the K-12 online conference has featured 40-plus presenters from around the world sharing for free in presentations that are usually now 20 minutes long some of their best ideas about ways that we don't just use technology, but we engage students and we help students learn. Dean Shiresky was recognized by the International Society for Technology Education, ISTE, as the Teacher Administrative Leader of the Year last year. He's in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. And Dean gave the pre-conference keynote. I'll share an excerpt of that in my breakout. His presentation is sharing the moral imperative. See, you and I are remixes. We are collections of influences. Who did you hang out with that encouraged you to go into education? Who was your supervising student teacher? What did he or she do that influenced you? The way they shared made a difference. The way we can share today, face-to-face and digitally, can make a difference. So, I'm going to jump out of my slides. We've only got about ten minutes left. And I'm going to take a risk here. I think I got my internet going. Um, I'm going to just show you a couple sharing examples with a few different tools. I'm going to show you Google Reader, Posturus, which I'm going to go into in depth in the breakout, Twitter, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Flipboard. There's so much content that's out there in the world today. Let me give you a, an example. Does anyone else have parents, relatives, friends who send them a lot of email? Okay, my mom loves to send me email, or loved to send me email. And I introduced her to this free tool called Posturus. And Posturus works simply by using email. And if you can send an email message, you can post on your Posturus blog. So last May, when we had a huge hailstorm, a hail core that was like softball size and larger, totaled my car and many other cars in Oklahoma City, instead of emailing that YouTube video to me, my mother simply emailed it to post at posturus.com. And now on her site, these videos are here of that hailstorm and that hail core. And it was incredible. And I'll turn the volume down because basically somebody took their camera out, uh, was taking a picture of their swimming pool, and, you know, the quantity of hailstones and the size here was just, was, was really unbelievable. Um, in fact, maybe for bandwidth, I won't. I won't play the whole thing. But here's the point. If my mom, who's in her 70s, can do this, everyone in this room can do this. What does this require? Email. You send a message to email, and it puts it on the site. You can embed rich media. That means you can take an audio file that you had a student recording class. You can take a video file. You can put a link, and it goes up on your page. Now you're going to need to work with folks in your school district with what the policies are and things like that. And we do have some schools that prohibit teachers from posting outside of their school district website. That's a good conversation to have with your, with your district leaders. But here's how I use Posturus. I use it to share stuff I want to go back to later. Tony Vincent, who is an educator that was a fifth grade teacher in Omaha, Nebraska. He now lives in Arizona. Share this easy grader for iPad. This is an awesome app that will let me um, not just, it won't grade the essays for me, but it gives me a rubric and lets me provide some real specific feedback to my students. That's cool. I want to go back to that later. Um, just different things that I find, okay? 
how do I save these? Well, one way to do it is with posturous and with email. Another way is with Twitter. Not all the time, but sometimes when I find things that are valuable, I will share them on Twitter. And other people can view those things as well. And they can click on those links. Another one is Google Reader. Who uses Google Reader? This is an aggregator or a news reader. And what I'm about to show you is how this works with Flipboard on the iPad. But basically, I subscribe to different news channels. And a way of thinking about this, helping my kids uh, understand this, I'll do a Google search for Wikipedia and I'll say funnel. Because if you have a visual image of a funnel, um, maybe my internet's going to be slow here, um, that'll kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about. There's a lot of information in all these different channels and all these different flows, and we need to deal with better filters, right? Because if we don't have good enough filters, we get overwhelmed, and that's called TMI. What does that stand for? Too much information. So we need to have a digital newspaper that helps us funnel in the stuff that we want and keep out the stuff we don't want. Can you guess what what this is? I set up a Google alert for my dad's name. It'd be interesting to know if not. Actually, I don't think my dad is playing guitar, so this is a different Tom Fryer. But uh, one of my friends in Kansas who teaches at K-State learned about her child being in an auto accident because she had a Google alert. can send you an email or you just subscribe to it any time that name shows up in the news or on a blog. You can do that for your school. Google Reader is a good place to digitally invest. On my blog, when you scroll down on the right side, over here on this side, you can see my Google Reader shares. All right? Here's the things that I have shared on Google Reader. So let's take a look at what this looks like um, on the iPad. What I've got here is the application Flipboard open. And Flipboard, to me, is the sexiest application I've ever seen on a tablet. We could just talk about the cool factor. You know, we've only got three minutes, but we could. T- we've got astronauts on the International Space Station regularly taking pictures and posting links out to Twitter. So whenever I come here to my iPad and I would like to see some of the current photographs that have been taken from space, I'm able to do that um, when my connection is fast. Um, here on Flipboard, and I'll just be—I'll be patient. Isn't it funny? Do you remember the dial-up modem sound? Remember that sound? Do you remember America Online? Pine email? Remember the day? Our, our patience wanes. Okay, here we go. So this was Clay's pick of the day, shared by Clayton Anderson. Clayton is on the International Space Station right now. I shot this while talking to my brother on the IP phone on the space station. Sometimes they'll say, guess what this is? What kind of a fun geography challenge is that? Okay, so I have a Twitter list that I created that's all astronauts, and some of those astronauts are on the space station right now. You can subscribe to professional channels like National Geographic and USA Today, but I like to subscribe to people. And if I go here into my Edu Yodas folder, or my educational Yodas, here are different articles that people are sharing about different topics. Okay, here's something that Richard Byrne, who's a main educator and writes the blog Free Technology for Teachers, wrote about, it looks like this National Geographic article, Search for the Afghan Girl. 
Now, again, this isn't coming up super fast because my Internet at this very moment is not super fast. Um, but let me just show you real briefly the options that I have to share, and then I've got to wrap up, I think. Okay. I see this article. What am I going to do with it? I need to process this in some way and do something with it, if it's good, if I want to keep it. So Flipboard gives me some choices. I click this little icon in the corner, and I can say share on Google Reader, share. And that is immediately in my Google Reader, shared for other people to see. I can use that for my students. If I'm finding articles, we're studying the Middle East, we're studying what's happening in Egypt right now. I can share the articles that way. Ooh, look at this. Post to. What could I post to? Well, Google Reader, but also my Facebook and also Twitter. So I could set up a Twitter account. And right here from this interface, I could have this information. Sometimes when I'm just reading an article, I'll say reading. And then... Have you used a URL shortener before? Like tiny URL makes the address shorter, right? Because email a lot of times cuts off addresses and it's just handier to have a shorter address. Right here in Flipboard, I have an option to shorten my link. <gasps> Isn't that going to be nice? And it's going to make it nice and short. So now when I click the send button, everybody who's following me on Twitter or goes there later is going to be able to link to that article. I also have this, and don't underestimate the power of email, right? Because is anyone in this room not using email? That's really a loaded question, isn't it? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, probably we're all using email. And the iPad today and the other tablet devices that I've seen are doing a good job enabling you to email stuff. But I don't want to email it to me. Where do you think I want to send this? Posterous. Why? Because I got too much email. And my email's not public. I can share this to Posterous, and anyone who visits my Posterous account can view it. So at a very basic level, tools like this can allow us, just like we were having a bucket and we were going out and collecting flowers or we were collecting leaves or pine cones or whatever, we're going out on the Internet and we're collecting things, it allows us to collect things and then share those things with other people. And we all need to be doing more of this kind of work. So as I refresh this page, my posturous page, and it takes a minute, look at that, the search for the Afghan girl. And that is a, seems like a small thing. But being able to aggregate and collect my research and have it here on a site um, that's a really, that's a real big deal. And one other use of this that I'll talk more about this afternoon uh, are five photo stories, right? Ask your kids to tell a story about a topic in five stories. We're using Posturus. How much does Posturus cost? It's free. What computer platforms does it work with? Everything. So here are different stories in five photos that different folks took. I wonder if I can pull up the one that shows the snow. We had some folks who were in northern Montana. I think this was it. Visions of Mon... No, that was Missouri. Anyway. How did this work? They just sent an email? They attached five pictures and it went onto this page? Yes. That's how it works. So, powerful stuff. What does it mean? Well, and I've got three minutes, so I'm really not going to get through these slides. That's okay. 
we have got to get creative. And Richard Florida is one author who talks about creativity and what it takes to bring creative people to your community. I was in Shanghai in September, just a week after the iPad was announced. Folks were lined up, you know, for, for days, camped outside to be able to get the first iPad. How cool was that to see, you know, the Chinese characters there in the Apple store? Um, I'm wrestling with this too, right? I don't know what it all means either. But I do know that we need to make some changes in our school. This is a photograph that I took when I climbed a Buddhist temple there in Shanghai and used an awesome app I love on my iPhone called Pano, which just stitches together images. So this is like 13 pictures, all stitched together on the fly. And this is a small suburb called Chuzhou of about 6 million outside the city of Shanghai, which is about 23 million. Uh, we need to be recognizing that the world has changed and it's different. Um, so my last thought, I want you to have the right glasses on today. Okay. Think as you go to sessions, as you're in the vendor hall, think about this. Does this use of technology simply accommodate and let me do what I did before, but with technology? Or does it help me transform in some way? Connect in ways I couldn't connect before. Show things with images that I just had text for. Do things transformatively. Alan Kay says the predominant tool defines the predominant task. You got pencils in your class today? Guess what we use? We use pencils. What do you need in your class? You need to have digital devices. But not just ebook readers that let us consume, devices that let us create and share. It is a big deal to get a whiteboard and a projector in your room if you've never had one before. But do you remember this? Did you ever set fire to instructional materials using the opaque projector? Did you ever fear that you would because it was so hot? Look, folks, if we're using our whiteboards or our projectors or our iPods or whatever we have, just like we did, and Marco Torres says it this way, reading pages 1 through 20 and answering questions 1 through 10 at the end, we are wasting our money. I think I'm going to have to close with this slide. I don't have time to have my, my Larry Cuban quotes about wasting money with technology. But this picture is a big deal. This picture was taken in Afghanistan. It was taken this summer. If you know a little bit about the Taliban, and believe me, I got mixed feelings about our war. You know, I think uh, Tom Brokaw was just on Oprah recently because he said, have you done something on the war? Do you know this is the longest war we fought? Do you know how much money we're spending every year? Okay, but the Taliban are bad folks. The Taliban do not want women to what? Go to school, be educated, have access to knowledge. I would say that is wrong. So when you see this picture of Afghani girls having access to their own laptop, which not only is utilized in the school, but is also free for them to take home and share with their family and learn at any time. This is a real big deal. We've got a lot of fear today when it comes to the use of technology. You and I need to act as leaders in whatever context we happen to be to help people overcome fear. Because we live in changing times, maybe some of the most dramatically changing times ever. I don't know, it was probably a big deal when we went to steam from the horse, too. We're here to overcome ignorance. But 
The kids are ready today, and they can't wait. OLPC today, which they've been able to sell this laptop or get it for $130, is projected in 2012 to look like this and to sell for $75. So, folks, it's really not going to be as much of it. I mean, how much do you spend on a textbook for kids? I mean, you can lease MacBook laptops for $250, uh, I think, per year and, and have, you know, the best laptop you possibly could have. There's other choices. But the point is you need to ask your kids with whatever device they have to create, to share, to let them teach the curriculum because that's when the real learning comes in. So it's not just about learning in the old way. It's about learning in the new way. And I want you to think about transformative uses of technology as you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you so much for your time.